It may be a new year, but when it comes to Democrats and rhinos, it's the same song and dance. So what hope, if any, lies ahead? Let's find out. The show starts now. It's 2023, and the left is very excited about two things this week, Republican infighting and the two-year anniversary of the only day they've cared about laws and the people who enforce them, January 6th. The biggest question for Republicans, real and a name only, is will Kevin McCarthy be sworn in as speaker tomorrow, or will they jack around for a few days and posture until Kevin McCarthy is sworn in as speaker? But believe it or not, McCarthy could be the thing that unites both hard-nosed House conservatives, the so-called megas, and the rhino establishment side of the party because both sides don't seem to think he goes far enough. Adam Kinzinger is no longer in office, thank God. He retired himself before voters in Illinois could retire for him. But nonetheless, the leftist mainstream media still seeks him out for comment, which tells you everything you need to know and already did about Adam Kinzinger. Here he is on CNN dogging McCarthy for supporting Trump. He went to Mar-a-Lago a couple weeks after January 6th and resurrected Donald Trump. He is the reason Donald Trump is still a factor. Donald Trump should consider Kevin McCarthy his best friend because Donald Trump is alive today politically because of Kevin McCarthy. Unemployed Adam Kinzinger thinks Kevin McCarthy was Donald Trump's kingmaker? Yes, Adam Kinzinger really thinks Trump needed or needs Kevin McCarthy to legitimize him? Folks, I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of McCarthy, but we all know he's going to be speaker. So let's get this show on the road and stop wasting time. And let's stop asking poached rhinos what they think because it's inconsequential. But Adam's delusions are part of the reason he will never be elected to anything on the GOP side again. And he knows it, but he's just so excited to be the left's media darling right now that he doesn't care. Either that or he's vying to be Mike Pence's VP pick. Should either of them be tone deaf enough to run against and lose to Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, or a flagpole, for that matter, in 2024? Good luck, little fella. Still ahead, my friend and fellow Fox News contributor Gianno Caldwell is on deck with his take on McCarthy, the 118th Congress, and more. That's next. It's called the Never Kevin faction of the House GOP, and while they may only be five deep, they are mighty given McCarthy needs to get at least one of them to change his mind, or he won't have enough votes to become Speaker. So, who's it going to be? The Never Kevins are as follows. Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, Bob Good of Virginia, Matt Gates of Florida, Matt Rosendale of Montana, and Ralph Norman of South Carolina. Now, one of the biggest concessions they want from McCarthy, besides an overall firmer spine, is the addition of a motion to vacate, which means any member would be empowered to bring up a vote to oust a sitting speaker at any time. Now, the motion to vacate is the tool Freedom Caucus members used in 2015 to help force out the original orange man and then Speaker John A. Boehner. Here to break that down and so much more is Fox News political analyst and my personal friend Gianna Caldwell. All right, Gianno, I have a lot to talk to you about, but first I want to start off with what you think is going to happen tomorrow. We're expecting to see some fireworks when it comes to that vote, whether Speaker McCarthy is going to be sworn in tomorrow and elected tomorrow as Speaker, or if they're going to piss around for a few days and then eventually make McCarthy the Speaker. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Well, I think a lot of people are asking that same question. And truthfully speaking, I don't think we have the time to really be pissing around, as you, you put it. We need to have a united front. The American people, even though it's a small majority, have voted Republicans in to take, care, take over the House. And with that consideration in mind, these five Republicans, and what you just mentioned in your opening, 
They don't want to be the reason why McCarthy or a Republican doesn't become speaker. That would just avoid the point altogether. We need Republicans to immediately start bringing the country back onto its feet. We need to know what happened with Joe Biden and the Hunter Biden situation. We also need to know what happened with COVID and how uh, Dr. Fauci was able to manipulate the American public in the ways in which he did. We need to know what happened with gain-of-function uh, research. There's a number of things that the American people must know, and Republicans have to know, especially in those, those in the House of Representatives who ask the American people, ask the American people for that vote, that this is not the time to play around. Use your leverage to get things that you need that's going to help the American people and especially the conservative movement. But let's not mess around with this too much to the point that we, again, lose out and we can't we can't afford it right now. Yeah, I think that the Republican Party wants some unity. We're going to talk about the whole Trump mega faction of everything in a little bit because I know you got a lot of thoughts on that. But I think right now, as Republicans, we are very independent minded and we have a lot of factions within our party, which is a healthy thing. But when it comes to saving this country, we need a little bit of unity and we need to get this yeah. part of it done so we can move on. We all know what's going to happen anyway. We all know that he's going to be the speaker. If a Republican is going to be the speaker, it's going to be Kevin McCarthy. So let's stop playing around for moments and for, I guess, social media credit, which is what I think a lot of these people desperately want is the attention, and let's get it moving. But you brought up investigations, and I want to know your take on this because I kind of go both ways on it. I want there to be investigations. I want subpoenas. Mm -hmm. I want to know what happened with Hunter Biden, with Fauci. I want to know big tech collusion. I want to know all Absolutely. of it. However, Gianno, I wonder what you think about this. Do you think if that is the first thing that we do is make a lot of noise about investigations, do you think that those independents out there, those Republicans who voted Republican but maybe a little hesitant in doing so, are they going to be like, okay, all you guys are doing is wasting our money with these investigations. You're not helping with inflation. You're not helping with the border, not helping with crime, enough with the investigation fatigue. Do we run the risk of doing that if we start out this way? I think that we run the risk of doing that if that's all that we're doing, that's the primary agenda investigating, then absolutely. But Republicans should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, which means you need to be, or rather have legislation that's ready to go, that's going to help with inflation, that's going to help with our already dire job situation, you need, you need legislation that's done to really be a benefit to the American people of all stripes and ideologies. But at the same time, there are a lot of questions about what has taken place at the FBI or any of these intelligence services since Trump has actually been in office. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And yes, big tech, I, I love that you mentioned that. That needs to be investigated as well. We need to be talking about section uh, two, what is it, 230. So this, this is why it's important to have a Republican House of Representatives, because they will now have the gavel and the power to do things that the American people have wanted them to do. We're not talking about uh, creating something that the Democrats, an imbalance, if you will. We're not talking about uh, using the power for politics. We're talking about literally finding out what has happened in our country that has impacted all of us, not just Republicans, not just Democrats, but the entire country. And that is important for Republicans to push forward on that front, but also focus on a legislative agenda that empowers Americans and not take power away from individual freedom. I know you and I really care about big tech collusion. We care about whatever's going on at the FBI and the DOJ. We care about gain of function and Fauci. But I have to wonder, do the American people at large, besides those of us who do this for a living and those of us that are heavily invested in it, do the American people at large really care about this stuff? 
Because I have to wonder. Yeah. We've, we've known about this Hunter Biden laptop thing. We've screamed it from the rooftops, right? This whole Fauci thing, screamed it from the rooftops, and it doesn't seem to be moving the needle. So I wonder, is it just because people are lazy, uninformed, and don't care? Or do they really not care, and they shouldn't care, and it's not going to be consequential for their lives? I go back and forth because I'm losing a little faith in what people care about. Yeah, but if we look at the polling where we saw that people said if they knew about the Hunter Biden laptop, they would have changed their vote. That means big tech colluded with what we're seeing to be our our actual own government in some ways, and and certainly with the Democratic Party to rig an election, if you want to call it that. Not, I don't typically ever use that term, but they did collude a hundred percent. So. We shouldn't allow that to happen, whether it be a Democrat or a Republican. There should be an even playing field for every individual who chooses to run for office. It doesn't matter what political party they are associated with. The Dr. Fauci piece, I think it's something that maybe it is something that more folks uh, within the space in which we work in care about. People just want to move on with their lives. They want to see things get back to normal, no matter if it came to taking a shot or 16 boosters or whatever the case may be. But this is absolutely necessary to ensure that not another bureaucrat gets into into a a government office and begin to dictate decisions of people's lives, not based on science, but based on politics. That's where this becomes the problem. It's not about just conservatives, which we know that it it suffered the brunt of these things, but it's the people that that it can happen to in the next administration, in the next cycle. This could be a Republican who gets empowered and chooses to do these things. It's wrong no matter who does it. So yeah, we need to be loudly and clear about what we should be doing next. And that's regardless of if folks don't care about it or not. We need to take that position. Elon Musk is doing a lot of things on Twitter right now, revealing some of the things in which our government have been doing. And some people don't care, the mainstream media in particular. But does that mean he should stop? Absolutely not. Put that information out there. Let people choose to pick it up or not. That's their choice. But I want to see the information. I do, too. I think we need to make people care. Maybe that's the challenge that we have ahead of us, because the Democrats are very good at making people care about things that they might not actually care about, like this whole green agenda. They have convinced a large segment of the population that we are heading for an apocalypse and they should really stop, you know, using gas powered vehicles and they should start composting their remains. I mean, the left is very good at messaging and we really suck at it. But speaking of messaging, I, I, wanna- I think though, that just real quick on that one point, though, I think only politics really care about that as much. You see some activists, uh, but people like Gavin Newsom with these, we're going to get rid of combustible engine cars. And we talked when we co-hosted the big Sunday show, how these these batteries group create more pollution than anything else. So people aren't necessarily caring about that. It's the politicians that push these regulatory policies onto people, which then put them in a position that they have to deal with it, not that they necessarily care to go out and recycle and do all these things anyway. They're being forced to do these things, not doing it of their own volition. Yeah, I think you're right to some level on that, but I'm glad that you brought that up because it brings me to my next point. Two things, Donald Trump and an issue that people really did care about and really impacted our party and impacted the country when it came to midterms and is always going to be an issue for us, and that's the abortion issue. So yesterday, Trump got a little bit of heat because he made a post on Truth Social saying that don't blame me for what happened in the midterms, blame um, <laughs> blame McConnell, uh, and then he used some choice words, and he said also Republicans failed on the abortion issue. Now, I've been saying 
saying this for months now, that Republicans failed on the abortion issue. They failed to message it correctly. They failed to actually communicate with voters what it meant for them, this Dobbs decision. But what's your take on that? Is Donald Trump onto something? Do we as a party need to get better on the abortion issue? And if so, what do we do better? Well, I think it was a combination of things. Um, one, the polling was showing that people cared a lot less as we begin to move towards the midterms. The, the heat and fire on that issue didn't necessarily exist. And if you remember, a lot of folks, even on the left, were saying, hey, Democrats are spending too much time talking about abortion and people don't care about it because the data showed that. I think Republicans, a lot of Republicans, I heard messaging pretty well, which is it will go back into the hands of the states versus the federal government, the people want a federalized measure with regards to that. And again, if we didn't have the data to show that people really cared, there wasn't gonna be as much time spent on it because then you basically are spending time reminding people that this is an issue and of consideration for them. So I don't necessarily see that as the holistic issue of why the midterms uh, faded like, like they did in terms of in favor of Republicans. But I do see Trump, President Trump, who seemingly really only cares about himself these days. I'm not seeing him necessarily caring about the conservative movement or the Republican Party as a whole. It's more about the party of Trump, which I'm disheartened by being one of the issues that we clearly see from the exit polling that people had considerations around. We saw uh, a number of candidates fall to the wayside. We talk about candidate quality. Some of these people that President Trump picked, I can go to Illinois and I know We've personally had this discussion before. Illinois is a very liberal state, but we've had Republican governors before. Not that long ago, we had a Republican governor. We had a guy who could have literally won the, the Republican primary and became governor, but he said some things about Trump that President Donald Trump didn't like, and he supported somebody who was less likely, less likely to win, and he did lose, and he lost badly. With that consideration, I think we got to really begin as a party because we got two years before the presidential election uh, and the primary coming up. We got to really focus on who do we want to be our representative. And I would argue that there has to be a challenge to Donald Trump because I think he became much too much about himself and not necessarily about the party and the movement. And that's when things become very problematic. I like Ron DeSantis as, a, as an alternative, but I think there's also some other great Republican candidates. And in the end, if Donald Trump wins, great, cool beans, no problem. But he does need to get challenged to make sure that we have the strongest candidate possible because Democrats are going to throw the kitchen sink, the vault, <laughs> the garbage truck, whatever at him to ensure that he loses. And that's actually the person who they prefer to run and win because they think they can beat him. So we need to be thinking about some alternatives to Donald Trump. He did a great job, and I want to say this, in terms of policy as president, I thought he was the, the best uh, president that African-Americans have seen in a long time. He's prior, prioritized a lot of issues that a lot of elites didn't care about, and that's elites in the Democratic Party and Republican Party, the people that were ignored, silenced, voters that were thrown away by these political parties. He brought them back into the fold. And I can appreciate all of those things, but he can't be self-centered. And that's what his issue is. It's all about him. And that's a problem for our party and for independence that we need to support us to actually win for president. I think everybody is wise to know when their time has come. 
And I think you want to go out on top, and I think he wants to go out on top, which is why this has become a big V for vendetta. And that's problematic for our party as a whole because it can't be about one person wanting to exact revenge on an election that he thinks was stolen from him. You know, we have to get out of this whole elections are rigged. We can talk about voter fraud. We can talk about election integrity all day long. I personally am a big advocate for doing so. However, when we do go the way of what Donald Trump has done and what Carrie Lake has done and just talk over and over again about rigged elections, we lose half the country. We lose half our own Agreed. damn party. So we got to move forward. The next thing I want to talk to you about, though, while I have you, is Illinois, because I know that this is very near and dear to your heart because of what happened to your own brother and your own family member. And again, you and I have talked about this at length, and I know that it's, it's greatly impacted you, and it will for the rest of your life. But now there are going to be a lot of, a lot of people in your state, in Illinois, that are also going to be impacted by this because now they have this new <laughs> safety act, which is anything but, but... In Illinois now, you pretty much have to be uh, begging to be behind bars. Let's just put it that way. I mean, all the things that you can do in that state now and have zero bail and not be detained and to be considered a misdemeanor and not a felony, I mean, the list is huge. I know this yes. is close to your heart. What do you think we're going to see in that state because of this? You know, um, and, and a judge just ruled that it was, uh, it was counter to the Illinois Constitution and it just got pushed up to the Supreme Court. It was supposed to be implemented January 1st of this year, January 1st, 2023. Uh, but now that's on hold as uh, the judge of the Supreme Court, this Illinois uh, State Supreme Court, they're gonna be looking for arguments. Now, what people need to understand is what the Safety Act does. It cancels out bail or creates a zero bail scenario for people who commit crimes like second degree murder. <laughs> I mean, arson, all kinds of things that are extraordinarily harmful, things that you would never assume would be a zero bail scenario. It creates that. And with that, that being in place, you're looking at a Gotham City scenario, whereas people are going to be murdered if this if this actually gets implemented and they're going to be able to walk out the same day or the very next day. Now, in what society should that be allowed? I'm not aware of one where we live in, especially in the U.S. I'm not aware of that. Maybe if you're paying people off in the Middle East or some other foreign uh, uh, country, perhaps, but definitely not within the United States of, of America. And I cannot understand how Democrats in Illinois thought this was even to be a good idea. This is insanity on steroids that they have even enacted um, the process of debating something like this. And by the way, Republicans in Illinois didn't really have a voice. And I'm talking about those Republican legislators. I've talked to uh, some of them, the leaders in the Republican Party in Illinois. They wouldn't even allow them to debate this issue. So thankfully, there was a judge in uh, Kankakee, Illinois, who's uh, put a state to this. And now the Illinois State Supreme Court is uh, putting a hold on this for the moment. We'll see what happens. But if this is actually implemented, Illinois is a smoke show and it's up in smoke uh, day in and day out because criminals will have their way. They will. And what's confusing to me is they are still able to bill 
this act and others around the country like it as some sort of a civil rights movement. I mean, they really it have the not. Congressional Black Caucus have said this kind of thing, this this zero cash bail, this is advancing diversity and equality. And it's essentially the second wave of the civil rights movement. That is what they have billed this as. How are they able to get away with that? And why are people still eating it up as if it is such? Well, they, they've called it criminal justice reform, but I would argue it's justice for the criminal. That's it. They, there's, there's no other way to coin this particular piece of legislation. You are endangering the lives of millions of people that live within the state because this will touch every, literally every county within the state of Illinois, which means it's up for grabs for criminals. They can go out, shoot, kill, steal, and do a number of things without the fear of prosecution, because if you can do these things, go to jail, come out. And when I say go to jail, we're talking about you might be in and out the same day because they're going to process you and all those kind of things. You come out the same day, whoever witnessed your crime, you can go out and murder them. No problem. You murder them. And then when it's time for your trial, if you show up, if you decide to show up, they, they would have to drop the charges anyway, because the, the, the witness to your crime is gone. So this is what I'm saying. It, it's just it's insanity on steroids. And how dare them? How dare them choose the lives of criminals versus the lives of the innocent that live in the state of Illinois, the law abiding citizens? And we already know how bad Chicago is. This would make it a billion times worse, Tommy. That's that's exactly it. It would make it a billion times worse. Last thing I want to ask you, because I know that this has touched your family personally. I know you spent a lot of time on the ground there talking to other families that have been through the same thing, maybe families that have traditionally voted for Democrats. Do we see a change of mind and heart in places like Chicago? Families like yours that have been touched by this, are they going to start changing the way that they vote? Or how bad does it need to get before people start to wake up? That's a, a great question. I'm going to tell you, for some people who may be on the other side, they just chose to pack up and move. <laughs> they, they may not change their politics, but they'll move to another state that's much safer. We see Illinois is Illinois, California, and New York, three of the most moved out uh, states in the entire country from, from the survey data that we've recently seen. But there will be some folks who say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm not, uh, I don't appreciate what they're considering criminal justice reform. You're empowering criminals and they will see the other side, but will this be something that leads to a mass exodus? I'm not seeing that. I don't have any data to support that, but I am hopeful with, that there will be some hearts and minds that are open to realize that what they've been voting for and what they've been supporting is not the way to go because they're literally, Democrats are literally endangering the lives of millions of people and people are fed up with it. If you can afford to move, you'll move, but there's a lot of poor people who are going to be stuck in those conditions and situations. That's what's sad to me as well, because uh, people would love to go where you are, maybe in Florida, and find a place that is more law and order. But a lot of people have deep roots in these places, and they just simply cannot afford to pick up and leave. And those are the people that That's are being right. most impacted. So thank you for bringing that to light. Thank you, as always, for spending so much time with me. And I hope to see you back in New York for another Saturday and Sunday show. And, uh, <laughs> see you soon, my friend. And I have to also share with my audience, because this is a fun show, that you taught me a new term that I have really been trying to implement. <laughs> in my daily life and that's we outside so we i don't outside. know we outside we're inside right now but we outside in 2023 giano thank you so much enjoy me miami stay warm and i'll see you soon
Thank you, my friend. Karen, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Up next, he developed the first mRNA vaccine, but when it came to being an outspoken critic of COVID vaccine mandates, they called him an anti-vaxxer and kicked him off old Twitter. Makes sense if you're a liberal. Dr. Robert Malone joins me next. My next guest invented mRNA vaccines for mice in the 1980s, but when he started sounding the alarm on the experimental COVID vaccines and questioned whether they do more harm than good, well, he was booted off Twitter and labeled a dangerous anti-vaxxer. But it gets weirder. A teacher in New York was recently fired for assigning Dr. Malone's interview with Joe Rogan as part of an extra credit assignment for students. The reoccurring theme with this COVID area of tyranny seems to be don't question the science of some, but completely discredit the science of others. The almighty narrative continues to be more important than actual health, science, and public safety. But joining me now is physician and inventor of mRNA vaccinations, Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, I have so many questions for you, but I want to start with your take on that teacher in New York who assigned your interview as an extra credit assignment, wasn't necessarily vouching for you or the other way, just thought it would be an interesting analysis and deep dive for students and was fired because of it. Tell me more about what happened there. So it's a fascinating story. I don't know anything more really than what's in the press, except for the teacher contacted us when we posted something about the one year anniversary of the Joe Rogan hit. And uh, what I learned from doing some additional research is that uh, the, I guess it's the supervisor of the school district has, or the, the supervisor of education for the state, I'm not sure which, has insisted that she be reinstated with back pay. And the local uh, school district supervisors have refused to allow this uh, for this sin, as you say, of apparently just asking as an extra credit activity that uh, students view the thing and uh, consider some questions. I don't even think there was a writing assignment associated with it. It's fascinating. And uh, so some students who strongly support the teacher, uh, because I guess she's a good teacher, uh, um, posted a uh, a survey, um, a petition to have the teacher reinstated because they uh, enjoy working with her and learning from her. And it had only accumulated a little over 200 signatures when we found it. And so I posted it on a, a Substack essay that we put out uh, celebrating that one year anniversary. And uh, last I checked, it was almost 4,000. It might be more. Well, it's always interesting to me how this narrative seems to be unraveling, but I'm sure that you and others like you, Dr. Peter McCullough being one, feel very vindicated now that we're getting more and more information and even the experts that were favored by the administration and big government and big pharma, they're even somewhat admitting that you guys were right all along. I don't think you're ever going to get a full acknowledgement of that, certainly not an apology, but I think what a lot of my viewers want to know from you, because you've been questioning this mRNA COVID vaccine, are COVID mRNA vaccines safe and effective? And who, if anyone, should still be getting boosters? Unfortunately, the data show that um, the adverse events, the sickness that the vaccine can cause, increases as you get into those higher risk populations that are also increased risk for death due to the infection. And so to be intellectually rigorous, you really have to do a risk-benefit ratio stratified by age. Those are fancy words, but hopefully it makes sense. In other words, if we're going to assert that the vaccine 
is worthwhile for the elderly, we need to look at both the risks and the benefits in the elderly. And what you find when you run those analyses is that you cannot justify the vaccine based on a risk benefit analysis in any age cohort. It's also very clear that the vaccine, unlike uh, what was purported, and I recently posted something on Twitter uh, reminding everybody of Rochelle Walensky's uh, multiple statements that were based on hope, not not science, um, in which he said that these products were going to prevent you from getting infected, uh, replicating, or or um, spreading the the infection. Uh, we now know that that's not true, and it was never actually tested by Pfizer, so it was an untruth when she said it. Um, so, so the in order so the bottom line is based on our analysis and by our i mean the international alliance of physicians and medical scientists which is over 17000 physicians and medical scientists from all over the world our analysis and press conference i think it was on may 11th of last year made a clear and unequivocal statement that the product should be withdrawn from the market they're neither safe nor effective they're not fit to purpose they don't really meet the criteria of what is a vaccine even with the manipulated current language about the definition of vaccines. But uh, these products are unfortunately are not safe. They're not safe at any age. It's, it kind of reminds me of Ralph Nader uh, with his campaign against the Corvair unsafe at any speed. These products are unsafe for any age. And you've been very skeptical of it, but it's also really interesting when you look into your background because you are not against vaccines. You're not an anti-vaxxer. You're not even necessarily against mRNA vaccines. So what makes this COVID vaccine and what was it that you saw with this particular vaccine that raised that flag in your mind and you felt like you had to speak out against it or at least to caution people the way that you've been doing consistently? The initial trigger about the vaccine issue was the ethics of what they were doing, the coercion, compulsion, mandates, uh, enticement, particularly for children, was what really upset me. And it came out of a discussion I had with a physician in Canada who was reporting, a frontline physician, who was reporting that all of the adverse events that he was reporting after vaccination were basically being canceled by their version of the CDC. And furthermore, he told me about these uh, ploys to cause children to accept the product involving giving ice cream and other uh, incentives or enticements to children, which is absolutely uh, uh, unethical based on accepted global norms since the Nuremberg trials. Uh, these are unlicensed medical products they were then and the ones that are marketed uh, by our government to us here in the United States and bought by our government from Pfizer and Moderna, um, uh, they they do not meet the criteria of fully licensed. They're still the emergency use authorized versions and they come typically with a uh, a product insert, which is the document that's supposed to tell patients everything they need to know in order to have informed consent it's typically a blank sheet of paper inserted into the box that carries the vaccine. It's stunning. So that was what triggered me. But the more I dug into it, and shortly after that in particular, another Canadian scientist and vaccinologist, Byron Bridle, uncovered the uh, technical document which Pfizer had submitted to governments all over the world. And when I read it, it was clear to me that uh, what Pfizer had submitted was not consistent with regulatory norms that I've had to learn and practice for decades. 
And so I contacted Peter Marks of the CDC, I'm sorry, of the FDA, who's in charge of, of this product and these products. And I was assuming at the time that that Pfizer had basically pulled the wool over the eyes of the FDA and that the FDA hadn't understood uh, what Pfizer was doing with some of its technical gobbledygook that it had done. And so in good faith, I spoke to Peter Marks and he said, oh, I've received additional documents from Pfizer and I've reviewed them and I have no concerns. Those probably would be the documents that were forced by the courts to be released instead of being um, held for 70 plus years. And we now know that those documents clearly show that the products are neither safe nor effective. Um, so uh, to be blunt, I can only conclude that Peter Marks lied to me. Subsequent to that, I accepted the two doses of Moderna that were offered in our state, in our county here in Virginia. And with the second dose, which turns out to be one of the ones that correlate with bad adverse events and deaths, um, so one of the bad batches, I developed hypertension to systolic of 230, that's life-threatening, um, restless leg syndrome, tinnitus, narcolepsy, and another number of other symptoms. So then it was clear to me, and already emerging was data from all over the world, that the products were not safe and effective as they were being marketed to us by our government and by um, uh, the corporate media, uh, most notably CNN. What I'm so confused about, and I think I speak for most Americans, we don't understand why our government and our government is still pushing them. Uh, Joe Biden and his wife just sat there before New Year's and encouraged everybody to go get booster five or six. I'm not sure what we're on at this point, but they're still encouraging people to go out and get this vaccine, even with what we're starting to finally uncover. I understand why Big Pharma would want to ramrod through a vaccine that wasn't safe or effective because it's all about the money. But for the life of me, I cannot figure out why our federal government would want our people to get a vaccine that is not safe or effective. And it seems to be largely only one side of the aisle, the Democrat side, that wants this to continue to happen. I know that you are not a fortune teller. I know that you can't see into the minds with a crystal ball or anything like that. But from your perspective, what do you think the motivation is for this continuous push to get vaccinated and to get boosted, even knowing what we know now? So usually the most straightforward explanation is the one you should go to first. And uh, the most straightforward explanation is the reason they're doing that is because of money. Uh, the, the sad truth is that there was some uh, bills put in place a number of years ago, actually under Teddy Kennedy, um, among others, but he was a strong advocate, that allowed the, the um, pharmaceutical industry to advertise on television. This is not done in most nations in the world, certainly no, no Western nations other than the United States. And it prevented the federal government from negotiating on price. The consequence of this was a huge, huge revenue boost for the pharmaceutical industry that they converted into a massive lobbying campaign. And functionally, they, to a significant extent, they fund our elections now from the profits they make off of their, their drug industry. We're, we have a serious problem that uh, in particular one political party, but really to be honest with ourselves, we talk about uniparty or rhinos. This crosses the aisle. There's significant compromise on both sides, I'm sorry to say, but those are, that's what the data show.
No, it certainly does, and you're right. There were a lot of Republicans who were benefiting off of it, especially when we were discussing at the federal level and even the state level certain restrictions and lockdowns and mandates. There were people that were actively making money off of that, and we know that is both sides of the aisle. So it's equal opportunity sleaziness that's going on. However, when the man in the White House sits there even now and tells people to go get a booster, knowing what we know, it's incredibly troubling to me. The last thing I want to talk to you about is something that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with or maybe don't have any knowledge of whatsoever, and that's livestock mRNA vaccines. I know that you've tweeted about this and you've been talking about it. What do the American people need to know about this? So uh, Merck actually appears to have a swine vaccine that is being deployed, a swine mRNA-based product that is being deployed in the domestic U.S. environment. There are multiple companies in addition to Merck, including apparently Zoetis, which is Pfizer's animal health branch that are developing a variety of mRNA vaccines for livestock and for companion animals. And then there are uh, significant tests ongoing right now in Australia and New Zealand, two nation states that are very compliant with the, uh, the narrative and with these agendas to advance these products. Also important to note is that because of policies that the FDA has put in place that basically grandfather these formulations and allow the pharmaceutical industries and uh, companies that make them to swap out different RNAs. We now have over 50 clinical trials ongoing in the United States for other mRNA-based vaccine products and 200 clinical trials in clinicaltrials.gov. That's actually greater than 200 that are planned and will begin soon that involve mRNA both for vaccines and for custom drug purposes. So it's it's our animals, it's our companion animals, it's our, ourselves, um, it's cancer uh, patients, et cetera, that they're really gonna try to push these products into. It's wild to think about. I don't know if we're ever really going to get full transparency. You know, we've got a Republican House that has vowed to get to the bottom of some of this, especially how the federal government has colluded with big tech to push an agenda and a narrative, which is something that you well know because it personally affected you. Uh, I think we all just have to sit back and wait and watch, but we thank people like you, Dr. Peter McCullough, and others who have been honest and truthful about this from the get-go because, quite frankly, I think that you and people like you have saved countless lives by speaking up when you knew something was wrong. So we appreciate that. Thank you for all the information you gave us today. And we'll keep following you on Twitter for more revelations. We can always count on you to bring us the truth. Thank you so much, Dr. Malone. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak to you and to your audience. Absolutely. All righty, up next, a machete attack near Times Square on New Year's Eve. Sounds about right for New York City. It's the city that never sleeps, and now mostly because residents always got to keep one eye open. My final thoughts are next. A 19-year-old with alleged radical Islamist motivations attacked three New York City officers with a machete in Times Square on New Year's Eve, proving once again how lawless that city and that state have become and how emboldened thugs, felons, and terrorists are thanks to the Democrats hell-bent on coddling them. But don't worry, Governor Kathy Hochul has her priorities in order, like okaying human compost burial. What a time to be alive or rather dead. It's time for Final Thoughts. As Americans and tourists alike attempted to celebrate the new year in New York for really the first time since the pandemic, they were reminded that lawlessness spares no celebration, no gathering, no Democrat-run U.S. city. 
It all happened around 10 p.m. on Saturday night outside of the secure area set up for New Year's Eve celebrations. A 19-year-old whack job, Trevor Bickford, with possible ties to radical Islam, whips out a machete and proceeds to strike an officer over the head. He then proceeded to use his machete on two additional officers before being fired upon by one of the officers. And one of the attacked officers had just graduated from the police academy the day prior. He now has a skull fracture and a laceration on his head. And now investigators are pondering whether this nutcase has been radicalized by Islam. Well, his mother and his aunt notified authorities weeks ago about their concerns of that very thing, and the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force was looking into it. Imagine if the FBI spent as much time investigating radical Islamists as they do parents at school board meetings or Donald J. Trump. Just imagine. But don't worry, Mayor Eric Adams is commending the officers for their response, saying he's really pleased with how they handled the situation. Oh goody, how comforting. You might get sliced in the head with machete at one of the most law enforcement dense celebrations of the year, but your mayor will give you a pat on the back. How about addressing the fact that New York City is lawless, thuggish, and getting worse? Maybe empowering and supporting your officers every day would be a great resolution and start. But we know Governor Hochul ain't going to tackle that because she's too busy making sure hippies can be composted after they die. The priorities of these Democrat states are just truly mind-boggling. But other states look at states like New York and California and cities like Chicago and say, hold my beer, let's make this our new statewide policy. Yeah, Illinois, I'm talking about you. There's no common sense in this country anymore, and the fact that basic law and order has become a Republican thing is super freaking disappointing, especially considering the fact that we as a party can't seem to win many elections. So 2023 is off to a banging, knifing, machete-wielding start, y'all. Hang on to your hats and your heads. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content at Outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.